Welcome back to the Signal Noise podcast on ProSound Web, sponsored by Shure. I am Michael Lawrence. I'm the technical editor of ProSound Web and Live Sound International, and I'm joined by both of my fantastic and very handsome co-hosts, the mustachioed Kyle Churnside and the bassiest-voiced Mr. Chris Leonard. Gentlemen, <laughs> how are we doing tonight? Doing good, man. Glad to be back home. It's uh, snowy outside. Just catching up with you, cats. see what's happening over uh, the holiday season here. Well, we're glad to have you back, Kyle. You've been uh, kind of bopping around the United States for a while. As, as uh, the listeners know, we talked to, last time we heard from Kyle, he was in his, in his Enterprise truck driving across the country. Yeah, I want to let everyone know, uh, truck stops aren't as cool as they used to be, man. I could not find a decent t-shirt uh, from here to San Francisco, <laughs> San Francisco to San Diego, and San Diego home. I literally stopped at every pilot loves um, Flying J, TA... I stopped, I, dude. I was just trying to find a ridiculous T-shirt to wear for Christmas time around the family, and no go. Really bad. I was thinking about something that maybe had guns and the flag, and maybe an eagle or something. But yeah, no, no score. So I'm, I'm wearing my NPR shirt. That's as hardcore as I get today. And uh, Chris, yeah. is are, are you have do you have snow going on down there in, in your neck of the woods? Uh, it's been kind of flurrying a little bit, but nothing really uh, sticking to the ground. So that's uh, that's good. Uh, they're predicting to be fifty on Christmas, so no no snow on Christmas oh here. So we'll see, yeah, but uh, it's good to finally uh, meet Kyle here in uh, E person. So you know, we'll uh, yeah, it's good. Glad and the the listeners at home can't tell, but Kyle wore his professional audio glasses to the <laughs> recording session today. I feel fancy. <laughs> He's very, very fancy. And so Cheeky. what we're going to talk about today, we're going to start with a little bit of mixing stuff because we've talked about building your career. We've talked about getting your start. We've talked about education. We did some monitors in front of house. Kyle and I did some system tech stuff. We've done everything other than actually mixing. And I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast want to know about mixing. Um, and, you know, it's sort of a tricky thing to, to talk about because as, as Chris was mentioning, and I'm sure we'll mention as we get going here, um, this is sort of where you get out of the technical and you get into the artistic too. And so there's a lot of, not necessarily a right or a wrong way, there's all these different approaches. And for a lot of people, it's kind of like a flow. So it can be really difficult to kind of externalize that. So the one thing I'm going to start off with is this idea of there being rules or norms and that we should avoid them. And I'll just give two quick examples. Uh, my buddy... Um, Ryan John um, was out mixing. You know Ryan. Yeah, he came through my neck of the woods about 10 years ago. He mixes one of my favorite bands, super uh, under the radar, and I don't even know if I should tell this to everybody, Tovlo. Do you like her? I love Tovlo. She's great, man. She's awesome. Yeah. I told him, I was like, hey, dude, you ever need one to fill in? (laughs) Yeah. Super guilty pleasure. So I was talking to to Ryan, and this this was at least 10 years ago, and we were talking, something about EQ came up, and he said, oh, well, you know, I don't, I don't use graphics. And I was like, what do you mean you don't use graphics? Like, this idea, I'm like, everyone uses graphics. This idea that this is what you did, and so this idea that, well, don't use this thing just because everyone else, you know, just because you feel like you have to do it. If you're not comfortable working a certain way, then don't work that way. So, so I also don't use graphics, but I always felt like I had to use graphic EQs, and I was never 
satisfied with the way they worked for what I was trying to do with them. And then I realized, well, yeah, there's no, there's no law that says I have to use a graphic queue if I don't want to. Um, you know, if it's all you have available, then use that thing. But, but if I have a choice, I'm going to grab the parametric. And thanks to Ryan, I learned not to be ashamed of that. <laughs> Just kind of do your thing, man. You know, do what works. And the other thing I want to throw out there is, um, you know, sometimes you end up with these situations that can be improved by reevaluating something that we take as a given. So the ex- idea that, hey, we're going to run all our effect sends post-fader, so our reverbs will follow, you know, the mix. Um, that's a great idea until I mix these groups. I have a group that I mix. I've got five in-ear monitor mixes. They're all stereo that I do from front of house. And they're very sensitive to the ambience in the ears. They don't want too much. They don't want too little. Um, I've got them very comfortable. And what I realized the first time we got them in a small room is, oh my gosh, my drum faders are at negative 50 because the room's so small. I'm getting so much off the stage. And so all my drum reverb sends just disappeared. And all of a sudden they were super uncomfortable. And so I run all my reverb sends for that show pre-fader. So they are consistent. They are locked in regardless of what I'm doing out in front, regardless of how much drums I need through the PA. And so that's something that you know, you take, take for granted. Why would you run your reverb sends pre-fader? It sounds ridiculous, but that, that ended up solving a problem for me. So I just want to start off this discussion and say, you know, don't, don't feel like you need to do things just because that's the way they've always been done. There's probably a reason for that, but understanding what that reason is can help you realize when maybe it's not the best approach. Very good. I, I think mixing is the most fun of the day, and I think we should address your thing about the, the EQs because... Let's talk about that EQ thing, not using graphics. Okay, well, inherently, graphics third octave. Um, you're going to get into situations where octaves are hitting different weird frequencies. It's not as precise as a, a parametric. Um, you know, it was the old grab and go. I don't know how old you are, Chris, but my first monitor gig, <laughs> maybe. See, I'm looking for someone to relate to, bro. <laughs> I, can, I, I can relate here. Go ahead, but I can relate. Go ahead. Okay, so I had a big old rack of these white EQs. You remember white? It was kind of like. D, DN3. Oh, the white. Okay, I would say the DN360s, but yeah, go ahead. The white EQs. I know you're talking yeah, about. We won't talk about the Clark Techno ones, but I had these white EQs, and they were in a, this cedar rack that someone built, and it was so heavy. and like starting out at monitor world kind of graphic eqs become your friends so um Mm -hmm. you remember michael when we did that podcast with bruce i told him the first thing that i remembered about him was he came into the room and he took the eq out of line you know so definitely not unheard of but um what messes me up is people going against the grain and i guess it might be a digital console thing is boosting eq whether it be on the desk or on the outboard. Do you guys see a lot of that? I mean, that's one of those old school things that I'm like, hey, buddy, I'll smack hands. Like, what are you doing boosting EQ? That's an awesome statement. And and that's something that, that, uh, you know, generally, I think think we should preface for this. Generally, your first impulse should be to cut what you don't need rather than to boost what you do need. That's just the healthy approach, especially for live. You know, if something sounds muddy and you boost the highs, you still have that low-frequency mud in there. So you want to you cut that back. That also leaves more room in your mix for other stuff. So in general, I would say it, it's a fair statement to say you're probably going to have better results if you start with subtractive EQ. However, um, you know, if I need a little little bump, I'll, I'll do a little bump and it did take me a long time to sort of get my brain around the fact that it that, you know, you're not going to turn into a pillar of salt. Uh, that that. They, that's, <laughs> just, so, that's just I, noise I know, and gain, I know, though. It's just I know, weird. I, 
here's the thing, though, and we're going to have Jimmy Akabuski on, you know, in, in, a, in an upcoming episode. And Jim was our first guest on this podcast, and I'm really excited to have him back on. And I went to go see Jim Mix this summer when he came through with the Frampton tour uh, out in Syracuse. And, you know, obviously incredible mix, you know, absolutely incredible mix. And I look over, and Jim has flatty cues, a little boost there on the 4K at the Tom, or a little boost at 200 at the Tom, or, you know, just, just where he needs a little extra, just a little boost in there. And I said, that's incredible. I never, ever would have listened to this mix and thought that you were getting there with all these boosts, but that's what he's doing, and it sounds phenomenal. I know. Um, so, <laughs> I, I, went, I went through all these show files of other people, and I'd stand behind people and watch a mix, and like, there's some really high-end in- engineers that will do a lot of boosting. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I see, okay, here's one for you. I see it in church a lot, because obviously digital consoles, you get a little bit less of the repercussions of EQ in the digital world. And I see it in house of worship, but to compensate for them, they'll compress it. So Mm -hmm. you'll see the boost, but then you'll see a compressor, but the guy mixing Frampton, I'm sure it's just like no dynamics, but doesn't that make you awkward? I I don't mind if you don't mix with uh, third octaves, but Holy cow. it definitely took me some time to like mentally be okay with it, and, and it's still like I said, I still I'm still very cautious about it. Like it's still not my first or second choice of approach, um, but I think you know if it's a wide shape and it's gentle, you're okay. If you start boosting these really narrow, and this is where my system tech you know impulses come into play. There's really no situation in system optimization where you start putting severe boosts or narrow boosts um that's that's a uh you know to me that's someone who's going after a cancellation that they shouldn't be going after or a weird room thing and so so when you're talking about system optimization there are very very few reasons to go in these targeted filters like that and start boosting so i think that's kind of where i get it from but uh you know i like i said it's it's there are certainly times when that's exactly what i need so Chris, you had mentioned this, and I think I just got the nail on the head. You 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 teach kids at the church how to do something yep. that you just do that's automatic. So what he just said just reminded me. Um, usually I make a peak, I sweep it around, I find the bad spot, I pull it, and then I automatically widen it out a little bit. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's one of those things that you can explain to the kid. You know, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sweeping the frequency, finding yeah. the four spot, and then widening it out. Yeah, for sure. Well, and to so to actually circle back a little bit to <laughs> to circle back a little bit to the uh, to the graphic EQ. I mean, so when I started back at Maryland Sound, we were still you know PM four thousands, you know Midas H three thousands. We were still analog desks, um, and so it was multiple racks of DN three sixties, and so you know and monitors. That was your go to was graphic EQs. You know, um, the uh, you didn't have as much parametric EQ on, on the on the outboard. Of of the um of the console and uh, and so in even in in those worlds yes it was always a cut very you know especially in monitors you're never boosting in monitors um uh, maybe when you get into the in-ear world but um uh, it was always also i was always told to to kind of make like a, a a nipple out of the eq right so like yeah. i'd find my center frequency and i would never just cut one it would always be like if i'm doing like you know a 60b cut at like 1k i'm also going you know up and down uh, a filter and doing like a 3db cut and so i'm making more of a bell out of it instead of just a severe a severe cut uh, again whether that's right wrong or different that's just kind of the method i was kind of you know taught along with um uh, but yeah, no. So it's I, I have since you know with the with digital consoles and stuff, I'm definitely much more in the uh, parametric 
parametric world for sure. In fact, actually, the guys and girls that I, I teach now from either where I'm at on the corporate side or in the church world, I mean, I, I basically, I almost have a rule of like no graphic EQs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So let's talk about this. Then why why do we have them? And, and you know, there's some historical context here. My buddy, he's an awesome system tech. He's 23, I think. And we were loading this festival out one time. And he goes, man, he goes, I don't even know why they make graphic EQs. He goes, the parametric is so much better. I'm like, dude, that's all there was for like 40 years. So, so you yeah, know, the, yeah. the, the parametric was later to the scene. And, and so originally... Um, you know the graphic is it's a, it's a, has a heritage that dates back a lot further. And for monitors, this idea of you know this is full combat monitor mixing. I I got to fight feedback. I need to filter in there right now. You grab this handle and you yank it out. Um, that that has a lot of utility in monitors when when time is of the essence. And um, yeah. there's a lot of mythology around these things about graphics causing more phase shift than parametrics and all this stuff and and a lot of this stuff can be debunked immediately with an audio analyzer um i've got an article about it and if you know if you take a graphic and you match the curve that you made with a parametric guess what the phase responses are going to match to if you the a lot of graphics have different filter widths because yeah there's space a third of an octave apart but that doesn't necessarily mean the third of an octave filters depends on the unit so chris Chris, what you're talking about where i'm going to kind of bleed out you know try to widen the bell um Depending on the unit you're using, you're going to get some drastically different results. So that's something where right. I would encourage people to, you know, investigate this stuff. And, and this mm-hmm. is the great thing that, that Chris and I were talking about last time. We have the tools to do this now. So if you want to know, gee, I wonder what happens when I do this with my filters. Well, put it on the analyzer find out. I, well, and I think, there, and, and maybe in your article or some other articles I've seen, you know, it's funny, the term graphical EQ uh, is I think why so many people have gravitated early on is because well I can, I can kind of see what my EQ shape is whereas early on you couldn't see what your parametric EQ, EQ shape looked like until digital consoles where you actually see what it's doing on the screen uh, and so I think for a lot of people Allegedly. it might have been kind of hard <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, but I mean you know whereas now and that's the other thing too is I think and I also kind of heard like you know the old school guys when digital consoles like PM5Ds and stuff when they kind of first started coming out they're like easy you know um, Easy on the old dudes. <laughs> um, uh, hey, I, I, I can at least, you know, I started on analog, so, you know, whereas there are plenty, plenty of people today who have never even touched an analog desk, so there's at least that. Um, but, I mean, you know, they were like, argue, like, you know, you know, like, oh, I hate looking at the screen. They were you know, like, oh, don't, don't, you know, don't look at the, you know, you're, you're relying too much on what it looks like. And, and, I, and I do think that people too often worry about whatever shape, a curve that the, whatever console manufacturer you name it is, it shows on that screen as opposed to what it sounds like. And you still need to look at what actual frequency you're, you're actually uh, affecting. So I, yeah. I, I think that is the, we've gone almost too far in the terms of graphical representation of what an EQ is doing. And people are relying too much on what the screen looks like as opposed to what is actually happening and what it actually sounds like. And you know, what a, what a, uh, what the cue on one console is versus on another can be completely different yeah. in terms of what the width is and, and what it sounds like. Um, yeah. Well, that's a great point. So, you know, and I, I had, I had the situation where uh, I was mixing this very reverberant room, and I think, I think I wrote about this a couple of years ago. And I was coming off Midas consoles and X32s and that type of stuff. And they use a, a, a fourth order high pass filter, and so you're kind of used to getting it to sit in a certain spot, and you kind of know what you're going to get. And I got into this room, and to get the sound I needed on this vocal mic, I had the high pass filter at like 220, and it was a Yamaha desk. And I said, "Gee, that doesn't seem right to me." But 
I measured it later, and that filter was like second order or third. It, it was not as steep of a filter. So that's a situation where, you know, the screen. I, I'm of the, I'm of the opinion that having more information is always a good thing. You know, when it comes to solving a technical issue, but you really don't let that push you around. Don't let the console bully you. If your ears are telling you that it's got to be higher to get the sound you need, put it higher. Um, Kyle, can you can you talk about when you started mixing Fallout Boy? You were on analog, and then you went to digital through through that gig you know yep. can you can you talk about what changed in your mix and your approach when you did that um well first off i was just twisting knobs i think at the beginning <laughs> um you're you're just a knob twister but the cool thing from listening to both you guys was maybe for our younger listeners and the listeners that want to mix or getting into it like you're not trying to make the instrument sound different than the instrument sounds at the end of the day, that's what you want is whatever that garbage guitar player is giving you, that's what he <laughs> that's what he wants it to sound like. Go up there and listen to the instrument and if it sounds like garbage up there, then you're getting it right out front. Don't you're not trying to fix anything. This isn't a studio gig. You know, you can't bring out another Fender twin if that one sucks. Like um, move your microphone around. Go listen Here's one thing that I, I like to do is I like to sit behind the drummer while he's playing and listen to his drums because uh, basically the way they tune them is the way you got to get them through the PA. And uh, now with measurement, like you said, more information is better than not. Measurement of your snare to your overheads, like your your kick drum in and out, your snare top and bottom, you know, the phase coherence that's happening there. You can almost and in your monitors, thank goodness for them, because now you don't have the blowback from the stage into your microphones. Like you shouldn't be EQing a ton ever or trying to make the instrument sound different than it does. Like you're basically trying to put it in that width of that microphone, you know? Um yeah. it's one of those things that people overlook a lot. Like I I go do shows and I never see the engineer. Let's not call them engineers. I already talked about that. I, I never, <laughs> I never see the mixer leave the position to go listen to something or move a mic or whatever. You know, that's disheartening because if you don't go up there and listen or you don't go up and mic your own stuff and take a gander of what the room's doing while you're walking around, like that's when you're going to start EQing everything. Like, uh, I'm sure both of you guys have walked up to a festival-style desk. Let's talk about analog for a minute. We knew how hard the guy was mixing in front of us when we got up there, and we had to flatten everything back out to zero to start your gig <laughs> at a festival. You know, that's one thing that analog to digital made really good was is we didn't dig a hole. Um, now, what I mean by dig a hole is every time you move a knob, that's moving it from a gain position flat, a phase position, wherever it goes. So if you're just going on what the desk was left for you, uh, you're probably doing something completely wrong. Now, digital world, two things have happened. One, you can start over every day with your house EQ. Now, if you want to talk about house EQ or your ear EQ or whatever, and you can leave your desk the way it is so you know if you get your your mic set up correctly and everything's set up correctly, it's going to sound the same tomorrow, which is uh, the very first thing that I always say to engineers is you want to offer your band consistency, whether they're playing just tonight or they're playing for you for three months on the road, you want to give them consistent skill. That's how you get hired back. You know, um, I don't know. That's, that's only two things I really like. It, it's fun. 
EQ is great, but I think people overdo it. And there are some touring engineers that I see EQ over show, over show, over show, over show. Like they make some fixes for the room and they don't flatten the desk back out or, or whatever. It's just like you just keep shooting your foot like in the same spot. <laughs> like yeah. at least to move the gun around to a different foot or a hand or something like, but don't just keep EQ and show after show after show. It's like, Oh, I'm going to save that one. That one was great. And then tomorrow you pull that show back up and you EQ over that show. What are you doing? Like I see a house of worship falling into that, that thing because you have like five engineers on the same show. They all go in and they tweak their own things here's what you got to realize too. Your ears get used to whatever you EQ'd wrong in the first yep. place. Yep. Yep. Let me say that. Let yeah. me say that again. Like preacher Kyle, your ears <laughs> get used to what you EQ'd wrong in the first place. And what I mean by that is you get, if you start a being like your, your EQ, you're like, Man, now I don't know which one sounds better. Like, <laughs> so if you if you're digging into it that far, though, stop. Yeah. That's my thing. You know what I mean? But, so uh, let me throw some more Ryan John wisdom out here, since we already we already name dropped him once. So I, I once said he's said coming to on Ryan, the show. We got to get him on the show, man. I'll send him a text. Say, Ryan, what are you doing? Let's get him on here. So I said, dude, how much do you change at your console mix night after night when you're touring? You're in different rigs. You're in different rooms. You know, how much does your mix change? And he goes. Would you EQ your reference track to sound good in the room? Or would you EQ the system to make the reference track sound correct? He said, I treat my mix no different than I treat the reference track. And that exploded my brain when he said that to me. And yeah. I'm like, well, of course. Like, because then you know, so now we're down to the Chris Mitchell thing. Right? <laughs> so you, you work with the system tech and you say, the system tech is telling you, whatever leaves your console will be faithfully reproduced in the house. And then f- from the console upstream... If I'm putting an EQ filter in, I'm correcting for something. What am I correcting for? So what I'm talking about, back to get to the boosting and cut discussion, you know, if I'm putting a cut in, I'm asking myself, why am I cutting? Is it proximity effect? Is the mic in the wrong spot? Is I'm picking up some resonance from the drum? I'm trying to figure out in my head why I need to do this. And sometimes it's better to go and deal with this, that situation so you don't have to do that in the first place. Sometimes we can't, right? If you have a signer who's attached to a certain mic and they're not going to change mics, we do what we can, um, but you know, it, it. Sometimes it's this is not the, the right mic for the job. This is not the right mic placement for the job. Or it might be Kyle, like you said, maybe the drum sounds like crap. <laughs> if you put a really nice mic on a crappy sounding drum, you get a very loud, crappy sounding drum. Kids, nine times out of ten, the band is horrible, <laughs> not your mix. Trust me, you're doing you're doing great. It, well, you know that's just need one to of the things. Shape it up. <laughs> the band that I work with, uh, you know, like I do a lot of one-offs and stuff. But there's one band that I've worked with with for years, and when they went to in-ear monitors, they were hearing their own tones for the first time. And then they instead broke of up. The amp blowing into. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they all of a sudden said, "Wow, we need to sit down and work on this." And I said, "Yeah, that's what your guitar sounds like." Um, they all moved out of their filters. parents' basement. <laughs> so so we we put it. <laughs> <laughs> we we spent a lot of time, you know, the, the lead guitar player and I spent hours sitting in his studio tweaking pedal boards and recording and listening back, and, and we put the, the inner monitors in and moved that mic around, and, and we really spent a lot of time getting it so that when that fader comes up in the PA, it sounds like it's supposed to sound, and when it goes into his in-ears, it sounds like it's supposed to sound, and so now if you go look at my lead guitar channel, I think there's a high-pass filter. So you know, I think that's where I'm at. What do you think about the band member or the person telling you what they need for EQ? <laughs> How good is that one? <laughs> hey, man, 
I'm going to be playing this ripping Ibanez tonight. <laughs> and then I'm going to switch over to my BC Rich Warlock. And those have sick humbuckers. If you could let it let it like chug a whole lot, bro. All right, brother. I love when I love when they tell me what like's going on. I'm like, just give me the A B, bro. We'll get it happening. But but completely right. Like the instrument can't sound like garbage first. And that's one of the most embarrassing thing I think for being an, uh, a mixer is standing up front of house and having a band that just doesn't sound good to begin with, and you're just like playing rescue audio all night. Ugh. And that 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 wears you out, man. It really does. You know, when you got like noisy guitar amps, and I got to try to get the noise out. I mean, you go, you do so much damage control that all artistic semblance is gone immediately, and you're sort of just kind of riding herd over this this barely held together chaos all night. Um, and and people are looking you, at you like their parents, it, yeah, the bass player's it, yeah, dad's walking by, just shaking his head at you. <laughs> I mean, we well, it's, it's it's just funny. I just did um, I just did Kip Winger acoustic, and I I like Kip Winger. I got to tell you, I, I'm a Kip Winger fan after this show, right? And so, um, you know, I I wasn't following Winger the band when when they were big in the '90s. I was probably a little young, but but you know, when I found out I was working with them, I started listening to his music. I said, Oh man, this is cool and. I really liked it. I said, great songs, good songwriter. So he shows up, coolest guy, super professional. Me and, and my monitor guy, David, you know, we were having a great time hanging out with him. And, and so, like, two minutes into sound check, he plugs his guitar in. Just this big, beastly, ridiculous 12-string with this compressor chorus. Like, just huge, the biggest acoustic guitar sound you ever heard in your life. Because I'm like, yeah, this guy goes and does acoustic shows, and he's got to plug into whatever the hell he walks up to and get this guitar sound. I go, that's the sound. It's huge. It's a huge guitar sound. And he plugs in and starts going, eh, right? So, <laughs> so the promoter's looking at me immediately. The promoter looks over at me. And I'm like, look, dude, my PA has been dead silent all day on every input except for this one. So I, I said, Mr. Winger, sir, we got a little buzz in your guitar input. Um, I said, you know, I talked to the modern engineer. I said, we got a couple things that we want to try to see what we can do about that. I said, do you want us to do that now and then continue with the sound check, or would you prefer to finish the sound check and we can work on that after? He goes, he said, I don't give a fuck about a buzz, and don't call me sir. <laughs> said, okay. Don't call me Mr. Winger. <laughs> so, so he's just like, rock and roll, man, let's do it. I was like, yeah, all right. But the promoter's like, but still, though, can we try to fix it? I'm like, yeah. So so we did, but it's, it's you know, this idea of the artist, you know, they've spent a long time hopefully developing a sound that they want, or, or no time at all. But in either case, that's the sound of the artist. And you're generally not going to be in a good place if you try to go and reverse engineer that and to change it and to make it something it's not. I mean, that, that has yeah. never worked well for me. Then the flip side of that, in the, in the church world, at least in some of the church worlds, it's not the same band every week. So, you know, like, for instance, a place that I'm, uh, I'm, I mix at, you know, there's like four different drummers, four different guitar players, multiple singers. And so it's, you know, it's just whoever's available that week and they schedule it out, right? So you, you, it's not like an A band, a B band, a C band. Uh, and so, you know, obviously there's going to be varying levels of people who either play better than others or whose tone is better than others. Um, it was the most eye-opening thing for me, especially in the drumming world, um, when you have the same system the same drum kit, and the only variable is the drummer, and to hear how different a kick drum can sound between mm -hmm. four different drummers, I was like, what? Because, you know, when you go gig to gig to gig, you think, okay, well, this kick drum sounds this way, this, this, this one's this way, but when you have the only variable is that the, the drummer changes, and that kick drum can sound four different ways across four different people, yeah, it's the same microphone, same placement, same building, same system, it was mind-blowing. 
Um, yeah. And uh, and so that was a I think probably one of the biggest things I learned. You know, um, a year or two ago, we moved into the new building that we were in. Um, and, uh, and it's one of those things like no amount of EQ that I do is ever going to change that. Right. And yeah. so, and yet, um, you know, the worship director will like say from week to week, like, oh, I'm just not feeling this this time. I'm like, look, dude, like I, I'm the only variable here that's changing is the drummer and not myself. And there's no amount of EQ <laughs> that I actually do right here is actually going to change how this thing sounds. Um, right. so yeah. Another digital console well, I, thing. Do you yeah. set presets for your, for your drummers and your members that swap in and out? Um, I personally don't set presets. I typically, um, cause you, you alluded to earlier, you can fall into the trap, especially in like a fixed installation, a fixed console where you can just start burying yourself with EQ. Yep. Uh, and so, um, I often, uh, first off, I'm a very minimalist when it comes to EQ anyway. Um, but I typically, when I come in, say I have it mixed for like a week or two, I have like at least a default starting file. Um, but I'll often flatten almost every EQ out before we even start sound check and just kind of work it as I feel it from that session based on everything else that's happened. So I, I haven't gone the route to do an individual thing per, cause I feel like it's just, it just changes too much for me. Wow. <laughs> 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 I, well, I will say that, you know, there are a lot of consoles that out of the box have a lot of presets in there, EQ presets or whatever. Um, I, I have found that in the time it takes to scroll through the list and find the one you want, I could have just put the two filters in. Um, Ugh, no, I, I, I don't. I've never recalled, <laughs> I've never recalled a, like, you know, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm working on like an Allen Heath, uh, like GLD or whatever at, the, at this uh. church. And there's a ton, there's like a ton of, you know, preset things in there. And I have never recalled, and even like there might be a world, Kip like, Winger never, setting. <laughs> it's it's the rock no. thing, man. Hey man, recall that Kip Winger that, acoustic. I, I gotta tell you, man, that was a great that was a great night. And it, you know, I, I you know I enjoy mixing. Um, I always you know I I like what I do, but I was at the console just like, man, this is awesome. I I would have bought a ticket to that show as a fan and just really enjoyed it. It was a great time. And then the next week, I did um, Eric Martin from Mr. Big, which was like sweet you know what i mean and, and and he's the coolest guy he's just super laid back and um what i learned is my idea about low variance pa systems where i'm like yeah i want every seat to be the same level you got to be careful with that because uh when you have an acoustic act it's great when you have a rock band on stage it's not great because all your reinforced stuff is totally buried down front because of the stage wash and um so so we had a situation there where the opening act kind of grew <laughs> past what it it was originally it was supposed to be an acoustic duo and ended up being being a, a a whole rock band, and so I'm like, well, good thing I have my system on zones because I needed to push, you know, the first couple audience sections during that show to make sure the vocals weren't bad. And I was very nervous about it, but I found some YouTube videos from people that were at the show. They had put 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 you know were sitting in the front and they put it up on YouTube and and you could hear every word. And I was like, okay, I feel better about that. But um, I think that's important too. This sort of debrief idea, like. Uh, whether it's a good show or it's a bad show, to kind of ask yourself, and maybe it's in the car on the way home, maybe it's a week later when you've had some time to decompress, um, hey, what worked? What what helped me? What do I need to do better next time? Oh, gee, I spent 40 minutes trying to get this thing wired up, and so how do I prevent that from happening? Or, you know, sound check went really quick, so why did that go so well? And And that, to me, is a very, very valuable process to kind of go through, either with yourself or, like Chris, in your case, when you're working with a team of people, um, either with a company or a touring crew or people that you're training to kind of step through that together and say, what went well? What do we need to work on? Um, 
that's when I do a lot of learning. So to watch a YouTube video back from someone that was at the show and paid money to buy a ticket and sit and watch that show, and how was this person's experience? Um, are the vocals buried, or yeah. did right, or did they hear? Did they hear it? Well, that you know, um, and obviously the phone doesn't capture anything. But if your vocals are twenty to be lower than they should be, you're going to hear that in the video. Yeah. Um, so to me, those are really, Im- yeah, yeah, those are important moments, and they can be tricky. They can really be tough to kind of, super, you know, <laughs> super audio snobs talking about looking at YouTube to watch their show back to see if we sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on Facebook Live. Yeah, yeah, I mean, man. for us, like we, because like we stream our services on Facebook Live, and it's like, man, like. I, I, I'm really torn on making decisions since we don't have a separate broadcast desk. It's just my left, right. You know, I have it right. matrixed out. So I have, I can, I can adjust like my vocal, my vocal and band and talking subgroups separately, but at least, but for the most part, it's still my mix. And it's like yeah. making decisions based on how Facebook is going to compress this and put it through this phone. And someone's going to listen to it, and make decisions off of that. And it's like, that is, it's, you know, that's not the same thing. So, but that's the world we live in, you know? Yep. Right. And and you're looking at the viewers, you're like, okay, if, if it gets over forty seven, I'm gonna make the broadcast sound better than the mix in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do that at church too. I'll be sitting and watching the the Facebook thing. And uh it's behind. The Facebook feed's behind and Pastor's mm-hmm. already up mm-hmm. at the mic and I'm sitting here watching the band and like <laughs> he's already walking out and I'm like, Oh man, dang. I'll, I'll just watch it later. <laughs> Um, my question to you, Chris, and you made a good point yep. way earlier about having to explain how to mix to people. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us do that, dude. I love mixing. Like I get into my own world. I start twisting my knobs. I like point at people, I, you know, <laughs> smash ginger ales, whatever I got to do. But it, you're right. When, when you stop to think about it, some of the things that you just end up doing, you just do without even thinking at some point you're like right. like you know where to grab and that's that's a big thing like you, like Michael said you grab and go when you had the big sliders on the third octaves like you just grab and go like it wasn't a hunt and peck type motion but teaching um someone who wants to mix how to do that it's it's almost like you have to stop yourself and rethink why you do that like you said right. at the beginning, like you got, you got to think before you think. And, uh, if you just start EQing all over the place or you start moving faders all over on the place, like you'll never know what it originally sound like. Uh, you guys, do you ever take your students and go, okay, let's just step back and listen for a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's and the, the funny thing too, is it's funny to see maybe the things that they want to grab first as opposed to the more important things. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, when I'm like, all right, you know, all right, let's, you, you know, go ahead and mix this for a little bit. And like the first thing they start going for is like making sure the tap delay is set at the right time and making sure the reverb. T- I'm like, what? that's the last thing you need to worry about right now. Like, you know, like that's like, that's like the icing at best. Mm. Right. Like, you know, this show could happen without delay and reverb, you know, but it can't happen if this tonality mix is not set in the right place and that all the vocals aren't heard and, and all of those things. Um, but yeah, you kind of alluded to this uh, that I mentioned earlier is that like I'm when I'm trying to explain someone how to mix, there's so many times where it's like unless I'm actually have my hands on a fader, I'm zoned into it. I wouldn't know how to stand next to someone and say, "All right, turn that fader up, turn this one down." All right, all right, put up, put a little, you know, three hundred dip at, you know, at minus three dB here and there. Like it's just one of those things where, like, 
I'll get done a show, and I don't know what EQ I've done. I don't know what fader moves I've made. I just made them. It's like playing a keyboard. It's like playing a guitar. My fingers are just moving. And I think part of that just comes from time and experience. Like, um, you can't just be mixing for your first time and and be uh, and know what you're listening to, right? So I think part of that just comes with time, um, and uh, and getting from you know knowing knowing the songs that you're trying to mix, um, you know. Uh, so it's. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a tough thing that it's you know it's one thing it's like okay I, I think I can mix halfway decent right but to teach someone how to mix the way I mix oh, I, it's that's a that's a hard starting spot. <laughs> that's when kids would be like, all right, thanks Kyle, thanks thanks for trying to teach us. We're going to move out of my parents' basement and do something different completely with life. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to I want to teach people too. I think it's a lot easier. Um, a lot easier subjects that we've had before because like mixing is an art, man. It really is. And like, Mm -hmm. you got to feel it. And, and I was going to stop and be like, Hey man, have you ever seen someone get scared or like, have you ever seen somebody like totally lose it and get feedback and pull all the faders down or like that happens. Like, I, I've seen people get super nervous, and you, like you said, they reach for the weirdest things. Um, I wonder what kind of strikes them to go like toms aren't even playing, and and they're reaching for the toms or or something like. Um, how do you teach that? How do you go? Oh man, keep your right hands on the vocal, and then left hand over here on the drums, or maybe VCAs. Teach them to mix on VCAs first, maybe. That's a good way. Yeah. I mean, can you can you teach it though? It's sort of like this idea that you can do the fire drill as many times as you want, but it's never going to be like in when when your house is on fire, you know. So that first sound check, that's scary, man. You know, like you can practice with virtual soundtracks and tracks and playback all you want, but the first time you got an artist on stage and they're asking you for something and you got eight seconds to make it happen, that's a scary moment. Or you know, when that band fires up for the first time in front of a full house. Um, there's no substitute for that. You just got to do that a bunch of times. And, you know, it was funny because I listened to um, to the board mixes of the band that I work with, and I had them sitting next to me after last rehearsal. And, you know, they start, and uh, as soon as they start up at rehearsal, I hear, like, tweak some rough level, make sure the vocals are on top of the mix, and then I hear myself do, like, nothing for 15 seconds. And then I hear the effects send start coming in and all that stuff and so i'm like what was i doing and what i realized is well i'm doing five in-ear mixes for front of house so what i do is i get it listenable out front in 10 seconds things roughly balanced i take a drive-by on each in-ears mix to make sure there's nothing offensive there for my artists and then i start dialing things in and so that you know sort of trying to externalize and follow my own process from the outside was really interesting because it, it really made me realize oh this is what i'm doing i can see where my priorities are and i'm not i'm not worried about the tap delays and getting the vocal reverb set until I've made sure that the audience is hearing the vocals, that my artists are hearing what they need to hear. Um, and that's, that's, that's just a frantic 20 seconds, and I think it's always going to be. Um, and then, then you can go and you can relax a little bit and you can deal with stuff. But that, that, first, you know, that first verse, um, you really want to have things straightened out by the time you hit that first chorus, otherwise you're going to have, you know, you've you got problems. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I think some of it is, you know, again, we're going to say experience, 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 but it's true because... So, like for instance, the the worship director, worship pastor at, at my church, uh, when he when he's singing, or and I was explaining this to actually some other people who mix on my team, um, I'm like, you know, honestly, like, dude, I I leave his fader at Unity, and very rarely do I ever move it, because I've learned that he 
will actually, if he wants to be louder, he's going to sing closer and louder. Or if he's gonna, he wants to pull back, he's going to pull back. If I try to fight and push that, then I'm going to be in trouble and I'm going to miss it either overcompensate or undercompensate. Now, that's different from, say, maybe all the background singers where they don't have mic control. They don't know how to control themselves, right? So that's where the experience is going to come in to go, okay, you know, yes, I'm still going to mix his mic a little bit for the most part, though. I, you know, he knows what he wants. He knows how he wants to put himself into that mix, whereas everyone else, I have to put them in the pocket. And, and, right. and that's something where that just takes time to just know the different, the different people and how they, and how they react. Yep. That's a great point. My you know? my bishop's the same way. Like, I go during mid service to go give him his in ears and his microphone, make sure he gets wired up and stuff. And he he says all the time, he's like, "Man, you know me." Like, because I'll even before anyone gets there, go out and check all my wireless mics and my my wedges, and I'll do what Pastor does to start the thing. I know what he does every day, like every Sunday. It's like that ASMR. Like he does the and starts real quiet. <laughs> And and then he gets louder, but it, like you said, experience does help, and and you're gonna go through points of fear, man. I went out and I was helping a gentleman mix his first bit from an X32, and he was mixing monitors as well, and feedback started rolling, like he got the monitor set where he needed to, and then he started putting it in the house, and it just started barreling on him, and he just started grabbing faders and pulling things down and muting. I was like, you know, luckily that was just sound check, but that scared him for the rest of the night. It really did. You know, it put, and, uh, I was like, dude, you're going to get through it. Like, let's work it out. Let's figure out where it is. Like, you can't just grab faders. Like no way, Jose. Um, that it's hard to work that stuff out. I, I love mixing and I'm glad I don't have to write down what I do because I think I just black out and go into this weird <laughs> Jimi Hendrix world. Like, <laughs> Everything's great. Stevie Wonder's there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I do, man. I, I feel like I, I really hit a zone and, and, and just start mixing. Like I did take cues uh, for a long time ago, and I think I mentioned this on a podcast a while back. Um, Howard Page came and watched me one night, and I was freaking oh, out. Boy. Yeah, freaking I was going to say, how was that? Freaking out. <laughs> So I was, I had baloney armpit sweat rings, like the whole nine yards. I was trying to act busy all night. You know, it's like the boss is there or something. You got to act busy. And uh, I asked him, I was like, hey, man, at the end of the show, I was like, hey, you know, I'm glad you came. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how'd you like it? And he was like, mate, it sounded great, blah, blah, blah. Quit being so active. Stand back and listen. And 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 that's why I put that thing in at the beginning was if you don't know what the instrument is sounding like or if you don't lift your head up and look, like make the snare drum sound like the way it looks to you from wherever you're standing. Um, if they're smashing it, and us church people can argue about this, let them know that they're smashing it. Like mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. got to be dynamic like that. If they're going to play with brushes or whatever, let it be dynamic like that. Because I see a lot of people get into this mode, and that's why I was kind of begging the question with the EQ thing. It's we're not in a studio. We're not trying to recreate an instrument sound from the 1960s. It's not going to happen. Whatever's up on stage is what we're getting. But make it look the way it should sound. Like watch your instruments. Like if the dude's doing straight up the who on stage <laughs> make that guitar straight like the up the who. yeah the who windmill if he's doing the crab he's the the state fair whatever they're doing 
make it sound like what they're doing. And I'm not familiar with, with all of these performance terms. <laughs> <laughs> this is why this should be a vlog, bro. Cause I'll wear different, I'll wear different hair every week. <laughs> like whatever you want. Well, me the to. beard is gone. When we started the podcast, you, you had the father time thing going it did. on. It's been a year. So it's about time yeah. to change it up again. Yeah. <laughs> it, it has been. A, I think, yeah, I think it's been just, just about a year since, since you came on board with us. Right. Yeah. So. Well, I yeah. think it's like and two months or three months from now. I I don't even know what to do. Like, it, <laughs> here's the deal: if we get three co-hosts, or like you're the host, but we're just the co-bros or whatever. <laughs> if we get like Ryan and John on here, like he's gonna be kind of intimidated, bro. Like we're gonna have to talk him off a ledge to get on this thing, and he's gonna be like, "Man, I can't do your show, homie. Like you got so many hosts. Like it's like it's like a pack of hostess in there." It's it's a rare treat, man, because you know the idea is that you're on the road a lot. I'm I'm doing a lot of stuff. Chris is doing a lot of stuff. So if one of us is out of the loop, we don't have to not do a podcast for a month, which I think is great. It's awesome having all three of us here. But you know, uh, we should uh, maybe we'll we'll do like that scene in The Dark Knight where they got they got to fight to the death with the broken mop handle to see who gets to be on the episode with Ryan. You know, yeah, man, uh, last man standing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely want to send a, a shout out to Steve Clunk. He uh, sent us in some questions about um, spill groups and dumping things into VCAs. Um, we also got a couple invites. So remember, if you guys want to email us uh, about anything, it's signal the number two noise at gmail.com. That goes straight to me. You can always harass me about signal stuff. number two noise podcast podcast. That's yeah. it. See, yeah. I don't even know my own stuff, dude. I just <laughs> set the link up and then I, I click. I on know the box. this because I emailed signal to noise and it went to somebody. I mean, somebody ended up emailing <laughs> it, but it didn't get to you, Kyle. I know that. So. Oh no. And, and yeah. And so why don't actually, while we're talking about this signal number two noise podcast <laughs> at gmail.com, Chris, Tell us, I know you've been working on our social media stuff, so tell us where else people can find us. Uh, yeah, we, we also should maybe consider changing the email address, but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> since the number two is not in the podcast name, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, Dude, yeah, it's so like we kinda pH, revamp. bro. It's, it's hip. <laughs> it's, it's fat. It's fat. Um, yeah, so uh, so yeah, so we are part of the um, Person Web Podcast Network, which we're trying to grow as kind of part of what I kind of been brought on to kind of help out, and so um, you know that that inclu includes uh, Eric Matlock's uh, Working Your Way Up podcast. Um, there's a potential future Church Sound podcast in the works. Uh, DC Sound app. We'll see what uh, what he's kind of doing podcast wise, maybe coming up. So and and who knows? I mean, uh, this this you know could grow into five, six, eight, ten other podcasts kind of under this network where we all kind of help each other out so um but yeah uh person web um but on Facebook, get it straight uh, we're uh, the we're the superstars now bro we're we're the we're right. the super, we're the flagship podcast, we're the flagship podcast now bro <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, no. And we absolutely. got the LinkedIn we, uh, page going now. We yeah, so for, LinkedIn uh, page for us. Yeah. which yeah, obviously that's kind of maybe more maybe the corporate kind of scene, which is that's kind of where I'm kind of heavily at lately. So yeah, we started a LinkedIn page um, and uh, trying to grow that. So yeah, please you know follow us on all the channels 
that seem appropriate to you, Facebook, Instagram, um, yeah, LinkedIn, those types of stuff. We'll try to gonna put some more content out regularly from the podcast and also from ProSound Web, Live Sound International, all those things. Um, we want to hear your guys' questions. So, yeah, email them, uh, comment them. You know, message us, those types of things. You know, tell us who you want us to talk to. Uh, ultimately, this show is for you guys. I mean, I, well, I mean, maybe it's just for us, but you know, I, I guess we want some people to listen. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So we have you know a lot of content coming your way. Uh, lots of pictures of Kyle in his in his uh, glasses and his tattoos. Oh man, uh, probably. <laughs> Um, yeah, but we want to, we do want to thank uh, Steve and, and the other people that sent in their questions and their comments, and and we will do our very best to get you the information you want when you email us. If you have a question, a suggestion, something you want our opinions on, something you want us to talk about, please do send it in or hit us up on our LinkedIn page, our Facebook page. I think where Twitter might be happening sometime, Chris, maybe, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. So. <laughs> um, here's, or, the, here's the coolest thing, right? So you all you got to do is ask Alexa. You can just say, hey, Alexa, play Signal to Noise podcast, and it works. What? Yeah, yeah. It, I can verify. I don't have one, but I called my apprentice, and I said, hey, go say, tell Alexa to play the Signal to Noise podcast. Been, she did it. She goes, it's playing. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, this, these are little things I've been working on in the background. So This is awesome, man. Like, holy cow. <laughs> I'm going to have to get an agent. I'm going to have to get rid of my, <laughs> my jitterbug phone because I can't even text that stuff that you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just wheel you we'll wheel you over to the microphone give you you know juice and crackers let you do your 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 45 minutes and take you back out again. <laughs> that's about what it's down to man i hey i really appreciate you guys happy holidays man i'm glad we got one done before then and um absolutely anyone anyone out there wants to wants to get a hold of us signal the number two noise podcast at gmail.com hey, i did i did it right um chris dude welcome to the show yeah man, I'm, I'm glad to be here this is gonna uh, be fun so and i think we should make sure we wish a happy holiday uh of whatever your your particular brand is enjoy it enjoy the time with your family enjoy the time off make sure to take care of yourself make sure to stay healthy out there and we will talk to everyone very soon <laughs> <laughs>